Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I have only one question coming out of that game. Just one question. What was that? Seriously, the hell was that? I mean, was that the best worst game or the worst best game? Yes, because that game had everything. Fans were in the building for the first time. Mark Davis rocking some really sick threads, looking like a, I don't know, like a drum major in the stands. The Raiders playing a shell of the Ravens. Their offensive weapons were pretty much Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson. What I'm saying is, if there were ever a game for John Gruden and the Raiders to win, it was that game last night. And they did absolutely everything they could to give that game away. Defensively, it seemed like the Ravens had one play. They kept mashing the zero pressure button over and over and over again. And when Derek Carr figured it out, he started to punish them. And Brian Edwards came out of nowhere to be the most important person in that building. Carr to Edwards for 20. Clock it. Then back to Edwards for another 18 yards. Brian Edwards is all out here like Jerry freaking Rice or something. But that was all about Carr. He had a hell of a drive to tie it. I mean, all of a sudden, this guy's just shooting off lasers. Then set up his kicker for this. And the rest of us for some of the most insane free football you're ever going to see. 55-yard field goal to tie. On the grass. Ball put down. Kick is up. End over end. And it is good! Holy Toledo! 55-yard field goal by the Raiders to tie it for a third time tonight. So normally at that point, I excitedly will tweet, free football, except I was kind of ambivalent last night, right? But it is what it is, so we go with it. Raiders get the ball. They start overtime. They start moving down the field, and guess who shows up huge again? Same guy, Brian Edwards. Brian freaking Edwards. Shotgun snap. They rush it. Here comes the blitz. He throws it away in a backpedal down the far sideline. Backpedaling catch at the 10 down the sideline. Touchdown Raiders! Brian Edwards with the reception of 33 yards. What a catch. And what an end to a game. Touchdown Raiders. Raiders win. The Raiders win. The Raiders win. Now it's just a matter of me getting my ass to the studio and waiting for Raider Mike to blow up the phone lines and break it all down. I mean, what a way to open up this stadium to fans. That was the biggest party on the strip right there. So awesome. Now I got to admit, part of me thought, I just watched that whole game start to finish. How the hell did the Raiders win? How did they win that game? I watched it from start to finish, and I can't figure out how they won that game. So, Lamar Jackson's out there on the field. He's hugging Raider players. He's ready to head off to the locker room. We could all finally move on with the rest of our lives because that game was finally, finally over. Finally. Like on the East Coast, wasn't it like 2 o'clock in the morning or something? That game was finally over. Sure it wasn't. Because Edwards was down on the one-yard line. Whatever. No problem. Three more feet. Three more feet. Then we can finally move on with the rest of our lives. Just punch it in. Except they didn't. They couldn't. QB sneak gets nothing. Then a false start moves them back five yards. Then an incomplete pass. And then, incredibly, this. Here's the shotgun snap. Carr throws a line drive into the end zone. It's deflected and intercepted. It's intercepted in the end zone and falling down was Anthony Everett. So, a unbelievable scoring opportunity for the Raiders is taken away. It is to the 20 on a touchback. And Baltimore, with the end zone interception, will take over. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm not going to say that that was the most Raider thing ever, but 
That was the most Raider thing ever. You rip that game in overtime only to come up a yard short on review. Then you choke it away in the worst way. At that point, it was Baltimore's game to lose once again. And they did. Because a few plays later, Lamar Jackson did this. Jackson. Jackson in the gun. Six in the secondary. Shotgun snap. They rush five. Down he goes. Set. Ball loose. It's loose. A fumble. The Raiders think they've got it. At the 28. Let's see. Yes, they do. Jackson is fumbled. Lamar Jackson Jackson is fumbled. Jackson. Jackson. So, in other words, the Raiders choked away the game. The Ravens choked it right back. Then the Raiders got the ball back. They ran one play, and then they sent their kicking team out onto the field on second down. Except they did not get the kicker on the field in time, and they had to take a delay a game. How the hell did that happen? How could that happen? Why did that happen? Let me let John Gruden, a.k.a. Chunk, explain it. Our kicker was warming up in the net. Uh, No one could find him. You lost your kicker. No one could find the kicker. He was warming up in the net, but you lost the kicker. How the hell does that happen? I mean, he was in the stadium, right? He was at the game, right? My man wasn't out wandering around lost in the desert or in Henderson or in Parumph. Right? By the way, if you're going to kick on second down, how does somebody not track down the kicker and tell him, hey, yo, dude, be ready. In fact, stop warming up in the net because we're going to kick on second down. No one could find him. Great stuff. Way to run an organized sideline, coach, because that was utter chaos. Utter chunk. Derek Carr said that he was expecting a field goal. I don't know what happened. I turned my back, and I was just praying we made it. You know, And uh, I turned around. It was a delay of game. And I was like, okay, well, he can still make this. And I'm like, get back out there. They start, I hear my in my headset, coach calling a person out. So I start running back out there. My man literally turned his back and started to pray it out. Like, let's just make this kick. Let's just make this kick. Please let us make this kick. Get your ass back on the field, QB1. I mean, you want to talk about chaos. Everything's chaotic. They're out of rhythm. They're scrambling to get back on the field just so they can run another play to somehow, some way get right. And yet somehow, some way, no thanks to Chunk, they did get right. What else can happen, Kevin? I don't know. Let's see. Carr's going to get the shotgun snap. They blitz from the side. It's picked up. He throws an arching pass down the side. It's caught at the five. Touchdown, Zay Jones. The Raiders have won. On a touchdown pass of 31 yards. I mean, holy crap. How the hell does that happen? How do you have a guy that wide ass open on the game winning play in OT? That can't happen. I know mistakes happen, but you can't do that on third down and overtime. If the Raiders were clueless on that final play, The Ravens were somehow even worse. I'm not sure how you could be worse than a team not being able to find its own kicker, but somehow the Ravens were worse. I mean, what a brutal loss for Baltimore. That must have been the worst flight ever back to Baltimore. But credit to the Raiders. I don't know if they wanted it more or if they somehow wanted to lose it slightly less. But I did watch that game from start to finish. And I still have no idea how the Raiders won that game. And because I did watch that game from start to finish, I feel like I deserve some sort of prize. I don't know, a cookie? Something? Anything? How many times did Baltimore win that game only to give it back? Baltimore had a 17-10 lead going into the fourth quarter. And they somehow managed to lose 33-27. And one of my favorite stats ever. You probably saw this. The Ravens were... 81-0 81-0 and 0 in the regular season when John Harbaugh had a 14-point lead. 81-0 and 0 with a two-touchdown lead. That's an amazing stat. Now he is 81-1. and 1. So exactly what does that mean? Well, it means I got Raider Mike on hold. Raider Mike will tell us what it means. 
I mean, I guess I could answer my own question. What exactly does that mean? But then again, if I were to answer that question, am I not setting myself up by then going to Raider Mike, who will have a better answer to that question? Because you know he will. Or, and another thing. Van Smack, with all due respect, Van Smack, let me all handle this. I know, Mike. And I'm going to let you handle it, Mike, in a minute. But let me once again pose the question. What does that mean? After watching that game start to finish, and I'm still waiting for a cookie, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. I will answer what does that mean by telling you what that does not mean. It does not mean the Raiders are back. And I hate saying that. I really do. Because I'm not here to go in on the Raiders. I'm not here to hate. I am here to tell you football is better when the Raiders are good. Football is much better when the Raiders are great. I love that song. I love bumping the wind. The autumn wind. Raider Nation is one of the only actual nations when it comes to fan bases. I want them to be good. I hated seeing much of what I saw last night. So Raider fan... I'm not here to be the wet blanket. I hate to be the wet blanket. I hate to be the cooler. But if you're thinking that you've got something after that win last night, trust me, you don't. You don't. Regardless of your coach and what he says and the fact that he did everything in his power to lose that game for you, for some reason, Chunk was really feeling it after the game. Maybe he thought that he and the ginger bowl cut were going to celebrate not losing. Notice I didn't say winning. That he and the ginger cut were going to celebrate not losing by wrecking shop at P.F. Chang's. But Chunk was really feeling himself, quote. Now, I felt like I died and, and woke up. And died again, and I was like a cat. I had multiple lives tonight. I don't like playing like that. It was um, tough, but um, we, we did a lot of really good things to win that football game tonight. You did a lot of really good things to win that football game tonight. Which things? I mean, yes, you pulled one out your ass, but only after nearly choking it away multiple times. Credit for the win, but let's not act like you did a lot of good things tonight. Or even one good thing. But I know that you will not listen to me. After all, this is the same guy who instructed the bus driver to take a victory lap around the parking lot at Arrowhead last week in week five. And then proceeded to miss the postseason. Yes, you beat the Ravens. But those aren't really the Ravens. Those were a bunch of guys in Ravens jerseys. That was Lamar Jackson and a bunch of guys not named Lamar Jackson. Jackson. So before you go tearing up the strip and acting like you just won a Super Bowl, ask yourself one question. Did that overtime clown show look more like Kansas City or Jacksonville? The Ravens out-choked the Raiders. It's pretty much what it was. It's that simple. And yes, yes, Raider fan, I am all about scoreboard. You know this. And I will give you that, Raider fan. But I have never seen a win that felt more like a loss than that. And no, I know you're not about to give it back. But you should. You know, sometimes neither team deserves to lose. Yeah, well, last night, both teams deserved to lose. Oh, and Raider player, that win... That win right there was the very definition of house money. So I hope that you cheapskates and bad tippers paid it forward last night. We all remember that story. That's not that old. I hope you cheapskates and bad tippers paid it forward last night to the drivers, to the valets, to the dealers, to the servers, to everybody in the service industry because that town pretty much runs on the service industry. Any staff member of any kind. Because you should have gotten your asses flogged after that performance. Shout out to my pals at Vital Vegas. What up, V2? What up, V2? No one could find him. What a night, man. What a game. If you have ever been behind the wheel of a high-performance sports car, you know exactly how much better a car can be. 
Like, once you do that, you never want to settle for a regular car ever again. You can't go back, right? I feel the exact same way about my X chair. From the moment I first sat down in that X chair, I understood why so many consider it to be the finest office chair in the world. Can your current can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair ever again. So take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never, ever go back. I guarantee that. So go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com for 100 bucks off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. That's xchairrome.com. Jeremy Chin is my guest. Jeremy, it's good to have you back. How are you? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me on, man. I'm doing great. Good. Good to have you back. All right, so during the offseason, I spoke to you as well as Brian Burns, Derek Brown. Each of you independently had a lot of confidence in the defense, and then you guys go out and you have a big, big game in week one, six sacks, in fact, as a group. I know theoretically that's the plan, right? But did you see yourselves going out and dominating collectively the way you did in that game? Yeah, I mean, that was our plan going into it, you know, especially going against a rookie quarterback. You know, we wanted to confuse and make them think as much as possible. But uh, we definitely got our foot, uh, you know, headed in the right direction. We have a lot to build off of, but uh, definitely promising, you know, going into next week. All right, so you got a lot, of, a lot of youth on defense, but at the same time, there's a lot of talent, and you guys really do attack the opposition. Like, give me the mindset of that group. What's the philosophy of the mindset of the defense collectively? Yeah, we just want to fly around. But, I mean, the, the biggest thing is we, we want to do our job for each other. You know, that, that's the biggest thing that I see. Uh, you know, no guy wants to mess up just because we know there's, there's 10 other guys depending on us. So, um, you know, we all just want to do our job. But we also, you know, we want to fly around and be the, the first one to the ball. All right, so as a unit, you want to def- – be there for each other but let me ask you this when you talk about doing your job for each other obviously when you go up against the Jets that means you're going against Sam Darnold's former team was it anything that you guys talked about was that something that was part of the conversation that hey we got to pick up our quarterback we got to make sure that we help our guy get a win against his team because we know what that means to him yeah absolutely uh we know how big this game is for Sam or how big that game was for Sam Darnold uh playing against a former team that gave up on him so uh you know, we, we definitely wanted to get that win for our quarterback. Jeremy Chin is joining us. Also, something I noticed, Hassan Reddick said after the game that it felt like the defense, quote, put the league on notice, end of quote. Does it feel that way to you as well? Do you think maybe people have been sleeping on this group and that that's going to stop now? Uh, I mean, it is, if they're sleeping or not, like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't phase us. You know, it doesn't really matter to us. You know, that we, we have things that we want to get done as a, as a unit. And regardless of people sleeping on us or not, we're going to continue to strive to be there. Jeremy Chen is joining me. So last season, you started the year with a couple of tough losses. I mean, it's only one week, but how good does it feel to start 1-0 after last year when you have those tough losses to start the year? Yeah, it's a clean slate. Um, you know, it, it gives us confidence moving forward. Uh, like we, we've got our best foot forward now, and uh, it, it's up to us. So, you know, you always want to start the season off with a win. So it, it's just momentum starting off early. You know, I mentioned you and I spoke a few months back about the versatility that you brought to the field last year. You had that big year and you made plays all over the field. But the fact is you did play safety and you played linebacker. Now it seems like you're back to primarily playing safety. How does it feel to be back there once again? Uh, I mean, it feels good. It's, it's my natural position. So like, I, I feel comfortable back there. Uh, but also continue to move closer to the line of scrimmage as well. That's something that I also love doing. Uh, and Coach Snow, he, he's done a lot of things to be able to make me um, you know, move around around the field and play multiple positions and have different roles around the defense. Jeremy Chin's joining me. So you broke out the Steph Curry-Davidson jersey for the arrival to the game on Sunday. That's part of a tradition that you started this year. For those who do not know what that's about, can you break that down? Where did the idea come from, and what are you doing with it? Yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm I'm wearing a, a Carolina legend uh, for each home jersey. So these Carolina legends were either born here in North or South Carolina, either played 
at one of the Carolinas collegiately or professionally. And um, so I'm going to wear their jersey for each home game. And then after the game, I'll sign a jersey. The athlete will sign a jersey. And then we'll auction it off. And then each dollar that's, that's raised from the auction will be uh, donated to their charity. So um, for Steph, uh, the, the proceeds from that auction will, will be donated to the Eat, Learn, Play Foundation that him and uh, Aisha have created. And uh, really the idea, it came from Tony Bonagura. So shout out to Tony Bonagura. He introduced the idea. And then uh, really as a, as a team and as an agency, we kind of just uh, threw on ideas like what can we do with the jerseys, what can we do with the proceeds, um, but also, you know, keep in mind honoring uh, just the, the area of Carolina who's embraced me so, you know, open, open arms. Yeah, I like that. So if people are interested in bidding on those jerseys, where do they go to make a bid? Yeah, they can go to my website, um, com, and, uh, and view the auction there. And uh, so the Steph Curry one, it's, it's running right now. So, uh, yeah, it's up. that's where you can – each jersey will be on there throughout the season. Jeremy Chen is joining us. I like that. Great cause. You know, you mentioned the relationship you have with the area and the fans. You know, given the way you've started your career and the impact you've already had in that area, it seems like it's only a matter of time before one day, one day, dude, you will be one of the Carolina legends that they're repping with jerseys. How would you describe that relationship that you have with the Panther fans? Uh, it's great. Well, you know, last year it was, it was so different because, you know, I, I couldn't actually interact with them. I couldn't see them. Um, so, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't have that, that face-to-face, um, I guess, like I said, interaction with them on the field, you know, away, away from the field, things like that. So, uh, you know, now I just want to show them that, you know, I, I appreciate really just them sticking with the organization and, and still being around and supporting, even though they weren't able to be in person. Like, Jimmy, from a football standpoint, it's one thing, like, you're right, you can't interact with the fans, but from a football standpoint, you had something closer to a normal offseason compared to last year, which was so different. How does this season feel compared to last year when you were a rookie from a football and operational standpoint? Yeah, it's so much different. Uh, I feel like the game has definitely slowed down uh, a ton for me just because I've, I've been able to, to use these last few months uh, just for football. Um, from from OTAs to camp and, and being around football and and being around my teammates and being around the building and and things like that and also having a year under my belt just knowing some things um, that I that I didn't know last year heading into the season as far as uh, you know nutrition eating taking care of my body and, and different and different techniques I did throughout the week so I just feel the best on game day. So what's your approach to nutrition? What are the types of things that you fuel up with and what are you doing differently this year as compared to last year when it comes to what you put in your body? Yeah, so nutrition-wise, um, definitely getting a lot more starches and, and carbs and, and vegetables, getting more, I guess, balanced diet than what I had last year. So this year, um, actually, I do have a chef last year. I didn't have one, so I'm just kind of, you know, eating whatever I can get my hands on. Um, but no, this year, I'm, I'm definitely more balanced. And uh, a goal of mine is to play, you know, every game around the same weight. Last year, it was kind of up and down. Um and then as far as taking care of my body, getting massages and things throughout the week uh, and recovering from, from Sunday's game, Sunday night, just getting in tubs, uh, things like that, just so I can, you know, feel my best come by Wednesday. So I'm, you know, just ready to roll. That is the moneymaker. All right. So on yeah. Sunday, you've got the Saints. I know it's early in the week and your preparation, but how different does that offense feel with Jameis Winston, a quarterback, instead of Drew Brees? Yeah, one thing about Jameis, he's not afraid to throw the ball. He'll he'll throw it deep. Uh, he'll throw it behind you if he sees, uh, you know, you're you're lighting up. You know, I, I just got done watching the the Packers game, and you know, some of their DBs are they kind of stop covering down the field because they don't they don't think he'll throw it that far. They don't believe he can throw it that far, but uh, he'll let it fly. So you definitely got to cover all the way, you know, through the back of the end zone when when you're playing against him. It's going to be a good matchup. Carolina at home against New Orleans on Sunday. Jeremy Chin joining us once again. Jeremy, it's great to have you back. Appreciate that. Good luck this weekend. And it's always good to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Jim. I appreciate you, man. Let's take a moment and talk about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're playing money lines, totals, props, futures, boosted parlays, or even live betting, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, MMA, boxing, tennis, golf, and more? It is all right there in your WinBet app. 
Listing in Michigan or New Jersey, try your hand inside WinBet's digital casino. All your favorite games from the casino floor are now in the palm of your hand. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority and entertainment, free merchandise too. It really is the finest loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. USC fires Clay Helton. Two days after number 14, USC got hammered at home by Stanford, 42-28. And by the way, it was so much worse than even that final score indicated. The final score indicated a hospital job, and it was still so much worse because that was a Stanford team that put up all of seven points against Kansas State. But there they were in the Coliseum, breaking off 87-yard TD runs, holding a 29-point lead in the fourth quarter as 17-point underdogs. If that's not rock bottom for USC, you can damn well see it from there. Going into that game, Stanford was the program that was in trouble. Coming out of that game, USC is. Because that's about as embarrassing as it gets for USC. A truly terrible and embarrassing look again 17 point favorites at home trailing by 29 so bad that USC had its kicker ejected for targeting on the first play of the game the kicker ejected for targeting when has that ever happened before when will that ever happen again And right when you think that's about the worst thing ever, it only gets worse from there. So no, it was no surprise that fans were booing them off the field and leaving early. And it's no surprise that Helton himself got canned yesterday. And that USC is willing to reportedly walk away, owing him more than $10 million. You know you want a guy out of there pretty badly when you're firing him in September and it's going to cost you more than $10 million to do. But that's pretty much what it is. This guy somehow had managed to hang in there for years and years and years. And it looked like this might be another one of those years. Again, notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that they should have kept Clay Helton. Because they had to get rid of this guy. They had to because there was no way the fan base was going to tolerate that. The fan base would have lost its mind collectively. But having said that, firing a guy in week two is also a really bad look. If you fire somebody in week two, you should not have brought this guy back for week one. You shouldn't have brought him back at all if you're going to fire him in week two. If you're firing a guy in September, you should have just fired him in January. Firing a coach after getting blown out in week two is not a sign that the coach made a mistake. It's a sign that everybody else made a mistake. And it's also not a sign that... We're not going to tolerate mediocrity around here. It's actually an admission that you had been fine with mediocrity for a really long time. Way too long. What I'm saying is it's really not even on this guy. It's on pretty much everybody else. Because he's been pretty much the same guy since he got that job. A really, really good guy and a really average head coach. Again, none of this is a knock on Helton as a person. By all accounts, this guy's like one of the best people there is. Guys love him. Guys respect him. The fact that he held on to that job as long as he did probably tells you way more about him as a person than a coach. Like, wow, man, how do we fire this guy? He's just too good of a dude. I'm not saying that he should not have been fired after that game. I'm saying he should have been fired long before that game. Now, I know you USC fans are all fired up about the firing. Like, you're back. You're more pumped on the program than you've ever been before. And for that reason alone, getting rid of Clay Helton was a good idea. Because now, all of a sudden, you all feel good again. But let's not act like getting rid of this guy means that you're just going to start stacking college football playoff appearances now. Let's not act like Clay Helton was the only thing between... Trojan honks and a return to the Pete Carroll win forever era. 
no, this guy was not great. But don't kid yourselves into believing that now that he's gone, normal service will continue. Because I hate to say a Trojan fan, but Clay Helton pretty much is normal service. I mean, why don't we go back? Why don't we take a look at the last few coaches you've had? Because it's not that pretty. Not exactly a murderer's row of competence and domination and success. And I'm not just talking about Sark and Kiffin. Why don't we go further back than that even? Sark, Kiffin, Ted Toner, Larry Smith, the return of John Robinson, Paul Hackett, Pete Carroll, Kiff, Orgeron, Sark, and now Clay Helton. So what do you make of that list? Who jumps out off that list? Peter. That's it. Peter. He was not the norm. Peter was the outlier. Pretty much the norm is, eh, let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. Pete yet. Carroll and 40 years of, eh, let's not get, uh, into, let's that. Not get into that. 40 years of Clay Helton is what I'm saying. 40 years what? of teams with a lot of talent and not a hell of a lot to show for it. And I know all the reasons why USC should be a football powerhouse. Iconic brand, local talent, star power, draw of LA, super rich alumni, fans, all of that, and more. But again, outside of Peter, that hasn't really happened, has it? Like the Pete Carroll era was incredible. One of the all-time great runs that you will ever see in college football. Dare I say, Saban-esque. But that was more than a decade ago. And it covers up a lot of holes in an otherwise underwhelming four decades of USC football. Peter's era was a long time ago. In fact, that was pre-college football playoff. You want to know how long ago that was? That was pre-Clemson. That's how long ago that was. USC dominating was so long ago that Clemson going to the Meineke Car Care Bowl was a good thing back then. They were happy about that back then. And now Clemson is a powerhouse. So I'm not saying that USC football is dead. I'm not saying that at all. They can and they should be able to turn it around. I'm just saying that for roughly four decades outside of Peter, they have not been able to turn it around. They have not lived up to all that hype. USC should be able to get one of the best coaches in the country. That is still a really good job for a lot of reasons. Like, honestly, if you were to tell me, that Urban Meyer was making a trip to the doctor today and then all of a sudden got diagnosed with some condition that required him to live and work in Southern California where it's warm, I would not be shocked at all. Never mind that he lives and works in Florida where it's warm. In fact, that'd be like the most Urban Meyer thing ever. I don't root, but I'm actually rooting for Herb to be standing by a copy machine, Xeroxing a bunch of farewell letters to all of his players and quitting on them after one game. That'd be the best thing ever. Bobby Petrino, the silver medal is yours. You are no longer the standard. I mean, by the way, what was Herb doing taking that Jags job when he had to know that he wouldn't have a prayer in the NFL. When he had to know that USC was just going to wait for the very first chance they had to fire Clay Helton, and then they would. Again, I'm not saying that Helton should not have been fired. I'm saying if you knew that his firing was inevitable, and they did, you should have done it at the end of last season. And now that you got exactly what you wanted all along, and you did, try not to screw this up. Clay. Man, USC loves firing coaches in season, don't they? When people don't want to, they love it. No surprise there. Too bad the Stanford game, though, was not at Stanford. They could have kiffined Clay on the runway. Maybe wait until Clay gets on the plane. Have the flight attendant do it. Have the flight attendant do it this time. Excuse me, Mr. Helton? Yes? Yes, ma'am, that's me. Sir? Your name is first on the downgrade list. The what? Does that mean I've got to go sit with the players and coach? No, sir. It means you've been downgraded. Right. Ma'am, does that mean I need to go sit in the back and coach with the players? Sir, 
You have been downgraded. Ma'am, I know. I'm just asking. What does that mean? Does that mean that I've been downgraded and I have to go back and sit with the players and coach? Sir, I am not going to say this again. You have been downgraded to unemployed. Get the hell off my airplane. I just jinxed myself. I got to get on an airplane this weekend. Hey, you want to hear something incredible? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how incredible is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Derwin James is my guest. Derwin, great to have you back. How are you? Man, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Good, dude. Good. Good to have you. So take me back to Sunday, if you don't mind. That 20-16 win over Washington in their place. I mean, we are talking about a team that in the past two years has lost 16 one-score games. I know you know this. How much pride was there for you and the rest of the team in winning on the road in a tight game against a divisional champion? Uh, it was amazing because, you know, our whole mindset was, you know, we wanted to come in and get to 1-0 and no, no matter what it took. And, you know, we wanted to come out and be a team of teams. So, you know, whether it was offense, defense, or special teams, everybody wanted to come in together and, you know, get the W, and we got that done. I like that. Speaking of the offense, Keenan Allen said after the game, quote, I know what it is to lay on the other side of the blanket. This is definitely the cooler side, and we like this side more. And to quote, so let me ask you, I know it's only one game, but does it feel like a culture change in terms of we are a fourth-quarter team now, we are the kind of team that can close out games? Oh, yeah, for sure. We, we definitely want to have that mindset. We want to be at our best in the fourth. And, uh, you know, Coach Staley does a great job of, you know, that's when it, that's when we're going to need to be at our best. You know what I mean? You can play 60 good plays, but if you get beat on the 60, 63rd play, then, you know, it don't matter. So, you know, we want to really focus on finishing games and um, – that was a great example of finishing. Charger safety, Derwin James is my guest. So you were in the game ball with that performance. When you consider all the work that you put in to get back to where you are right now, what did that game ball represent to you? Uh, it means a lot, man. Um, I gave it to my son. First of all, I just got a new son, and um, I, I got that ball for him because, you know, um, you know, just going through everything I've been through over the past couple of years and, you know, finally get back out there, and um, it, it just felt good uh, to be playing again. And, um Nothing greater than, you know, being appreciated by your teammates and by your peers. So, you know, that was big. I got to ask you, man, you mentioned that you gave the ball to your son. Like, you, you've you been a player and a dominant personality and a guy who leads from the front. All these things, right? All these things. What's fatherhood been like? Man, it's been cool, man. It's definitely life-changing for me, man, because, um, you know, I used to always hear people say, oh, man, it's going to change, it's going to change. But when you're actually going through it, man, it's really like, nothing like it no better feeling and you know just having that person that looks up to you like i said man i don't want to go and uh i'm not looking to be funny here last thing i i I don't want to get rattled by making a bad joke but the fact of the matter is there's no playbook for that right i don't care what they tell you what you think am i am i right there is no playbook for that (laughs) yeah there's definitely no playbook everything off script you know it goes off how, how he's feeling how his mood is you know it's when he wants it so you know i, I got used to that real fast that's how it's done. Thanks for picking me up, man. Thanks for agreeing with me. That made me feel good. Listen, man, as everybody knows, you did miss last season with that torn meniscus. You said, quote, a lot of times guys get injured and they just try to come back and try to be healthy. I'm not coming back for that. I'm coming back to be dominant, to be the same person that I was before. And that's kind of the mindset that I look at. I'm curious, like, where did that mindset come from? Because I think you're right. A lot of guys just want to get back and get back on the field, but that's not good enough for you. Where did that mindset come from? Uh, I think it come from my parents. You know, they did a great job raising me. Uh, you know, they always told me, man, you're going to go through battles. You're going to go through hardships. You know, it's how you come back from it. You know, everybody's good when things are going good. But, you know, you really see how a person is when adversity hits and when you're going through something. So, you know, just going through everything I've been through and, you know, battling back, you know, I'm just thankful. You know, and I'm a blessed man to be out there.
You know, it seems to me like you go through something like that, it could take an enormous mental toll on you. But guys around you, like Linval Joseph, rave about your leadership, rave about your positivity. I mean, were there dark days or were you able to be positive every single day while going through these hard times? Uh, the darkest day was the first day of it happening. Um, that was the darkest day for me. And um, once that moment passed, I woke up the next day, you know, I was on that mindset of what's next? You know, how can I get better? And um, how, how I'm going to get back out there and help my teammates win. Uh, so, you know, that, I just stayed with that mindset. And when I got back out there, you know, I'm, I just keep having fun with it, man. That's what makes it that much funner. You know, you mentioned your new coach, Brandon Staley, and he said something pretty amazing about you. Quote, I, I haven't been around too many guys like that, regardless of the position. Normally it's quarterbacks. Derwin is one of the few defensive players that I'm aware of in the league that can carry that mantle, end of quote. I mean, that's really an amazing thing for a coach to say about a player, especially a defensive player. So when it comes to leadership and being the face of the team, how do you approach that? Uh, you know, I'm humbled by, you know, I'm humbled every day. You know, I'm thankful for it every day. And, you know, I just want to, you know, continue to get better, man, because, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not just all perfect and all that, but I just want to keep being a leader, man, keep being, getting better every day. And, um, like I said, bringing that energy that guys feed off and um, that guys want to be around and coaches want to coach and be that player that they want to coach. So, you know, that's what, that's what I'm focused on, man. Listen, I understand that. I understand the humility. But then you got a guy like Chris Harris Jr. This guy's played the game a long, long time at a really high level. There's nothing that he has not seen. I've talked to him for years. He was talking to Jim Trotter, and he said, quote, I've played with a lot of great people in the secondary, Hall of Famers like Champ and Doc, but it's hard to say anybody is like this kid, the way he loves the game, the way he competes every day. I mean, Derwin, you'll tell me that you're trying to be as humble as you possibly can, but you got a guy like Chris Harris comparing you to Brian Dawkins and Champ Bailey. I mean, that's crazy yeah. high praise. What do you think yeah, when you hear that? Man, I'm just, man, to be even in the same conversation as those guys, you know, like I say, man, I'm thankful, man, because, you know, I, I know the work I put in, you know, my teammates and everybody that around the building, they see the work and how hard and what it means to me. So, you know, I, I like to be the same person I am every day, if not better, but so I like to just keep bringing that energy, man. And um, guys are, you know, taking notice of it. And, um, you know, it's big coming from guys like Chris Harris and Linval Joseph that's, you know, won Super Bowls and played in this league a long time. So, you know, hearing the stuff that they're saying about me and my coaches, man, you know, I'm, I'm really just thankful for it. Especially those two dudes, man. Champ Bailey, right? I mean, like Champ yeah, Bailey. Yeah, yeah, those, those all-time Hall of Fame with gold jacket guys, man. Brian Dawkins and Champ Bailey, those are – Definitely one of the greats, man. There's uncommon, and then there's uncommon amongst the uncommon. Those two dudes were uncommon amongst the uncommon. And then you get the Cowboys on Sunday. And after starting out 1-0, how big of a statement are you looking as a team to make against Dallas with the entire country watching? Uh, we got to just come out and be ready. We're at home. This is the first game at home. I know the fans are going to be excited. I know, you know, we got to come out and be ready. We're playing against one of the, the powerful offenses in the league, and um, we just got to be ready for the – run over the pass, man, whatever they come out and do. You know, and finally you broke up momentarily, but, like, what's it mean to you to be out there in front of the fans once again? Oh, man, I'm excited by that, man. Um, I can't wait. First game in SoFi for me, and um, I'm going to be excited, man. I'm a, I know I'm going to be eager to play, man, and I can't wait. Dude, what's it going to feel like to hit the field in that stadium, and what's it like when you look at that stadium? How's that feel to you? Man, it feels amazing. You know, just playing in there in the scrimmage that we had early in training camp, man, it was, it was fun. And, you know, I know once this thing is rolling for real and we're really out there playing when it counts, I know the fans are going to be that much louder and they're going to be that much supportive. So, you know, we want to come out and make it, make it special for them. Two-time All-Pro, Pro Bowler, new dad, 17th pick overall, Derwin James Jr., my guest. Derwin, great to have you back. I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on this show. Great talking to you. All right. Thank you, man. I get that it can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing and waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you might feel a little tempted. You might try and sneak across the tracks. Don't do it. Ever.
to the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they actually are, and they cannot stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can still take a train over a mile, a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is this. You can't know how quickly the train is going to arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it still ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you need to remember just one thing. Stop, because trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. Yogi Roth. Very good friend of the program. He is Yogi Roth. Yogi, how are you doing today, and how great is ball? <laughs> I love coming on your show, man. What a wild time we are in college football right now, obviously, with, with SC and everything, and, and just the news of the season, teams playing well, not playing well. Uh, so it's fun, man. So, yeah, to me, ball is still, is still beautiful. I'm still loving it. Ball is beautiful. It's always great to have you on this show, and you're right, Yogi. It's a wild, wild time. Let me get your thoughts then. What was your reaction when you saw the announcement from USC that they were firing Clay Hilton? Uh, I was surprised at the timing. I think everybody who covers the sport, you know, we knew that, you know, SC is a preeminent job, and we knew that they hadn't been to the playoff, and Clay Hilton's always kind of on the pseudo hot seat. Uh, I would have never thought it would have been done as early in the season as it was. So surprised, you know, as I saw that email come in and, you know, it didn't leak. It was done very swiftly and quickly in their facility, you know, when they told Clay and then their interim head coach, Dante Williams, you know, it was all within about 30, 45 minute period. Uh, so it happened fast. Uh, I, I think overall, when I sit back and look at it, Clay Helton in my 21 years now in major college football was as good to me and our TV crews as anybody I've been around. I mean, no one would ever argue the type of man that he is if you spent time with him absolute class. Uh, I think when you look at why the decision was made, ultimately for Mike Bone, when they came in, remember he came in new two years ago and was trying to figure out how to want to stay with Clay. And he looked at the resources and the reality of the expectation, which is to get to the playoff, and then the reality of the staff. And he saw, wow, well, we're understaffed. So they bumped the staff from low 30s to mid 40s to compete with Bama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, in recruiting personnel, staff, in graphics, all of the stuff that, that everybody else has now. And they netted out after the first two games of this season that the resources they afforded to Clay and the football program did not meet the trajectory of what they saw on the field in the first two weeks. We're talking to Yogi Roth. You laid that out pretty well. Yogi, you were at USC with Pete Carroll when the program was running off top four seasons year in and year out. So how would you describe the state of that program now versus the Pete Carroll era that you were a part of? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. I, I think a lot of times when, when we've seen coaches get fired midseason, it's because the program's in disarray. Players quit. There's inner strife in a locker room. None of that's going on at SC. It's a really healthy environment. I went and spoke in their locker room to their team two weeks ago before the season got going, um, doing some media training with these guys. And, and they're as connected as there is uh, regarding a program and around the country. So th there's not issues like you'd imagine. I think when you comp it to the era that you reference, there's, there's so much to that. Um, one, like it was a totally different era, right? You know, Matt and Reggie were rock stars, but nobody was in their DMs every day. Right? They weren't trying to build up a brand and had even a thought around that regarding where we are now with NIL and players signing at USC because they want to build their brand in Hollywood, which they should. Right, that, That's the environment we're in. I think the biggest thing is that when I go out to practice, um, and I don't think anybody in, in my experience in college football, I've never seen Alabama practice or some of the blue bloods that I referenced earlier, but our practices were absolutely insane in terms of how competitive they were. You know, every rip, rep, every drill, uh, your position was on the line. Uh, I'll still never forget every signing day at USC. Pete would show the highlights of the incoming 25 student-athletes and say, hey, I told them the same thing I told you. They're going to run with the ones day one and have every chance to take your job. Right? So the competitive cauldron that was created was, was unlike anything I've ever seen. And I, Again, maybe Bama's like that, uh, but I've never seen a culture like that. And, and I think it can get back. To that I know they tried. Um, I think when we, the further we get away from Pete, we recognize how unique he was. I mean, in the last since 1980, Jim, there's been outside of Pete, there's been five seasons at USC football with double-digit wins, huh. and Clay had two of them. Right, so I think there's an expectation that's 
you know, uh, a little intense, you know, when you look at the USC fan, but they've met that intensity. They've met that reality. So that's the standard. And they didn't think Clay Helton was meeting that standard in terms of competing for championships where, you know, Pete Carroll was top four finisher, I think, seven straight years at USC. Yogi Roth is joining us. So, Yogi, when you talk about whether or not there's a possibility of getting back to the way things were, the first guy who gets a shot is the guy you mentioned, Dante Williams. He's the interim head coach. What expectations do you have for USC for the rest of this season? And could you see him getting a legitimate look at the permanent job? Well, I again, I, I think for the expectation, Jim, it's they can go to play in the Rose Bowl. I mean, this team has the talent to win. I mean, everybody in the media who was calling for Clay's job also voted USC to win the Pac-12 South for the most part. You know, um, So they have the talent and the ability to go play well. And I think for Mike Bone and company, my interpretation of why they made the move now was not only just what I said earlier, but also this was going to be a thing, right? Clay was going to get asked about his job every week. Players were going to get asked about this every week. So I'm sure they thought about that and said, you know what, let's just let these guys go play. And I think now you eliminate that as a distraction. Like, to me, I circled the bye week. Like, would that have been a thing after they played Utah prior to Notre Dame if USC wasn't undefeated in top five in the top ten in the country competing for a playoff spot? Thing then. So they made the decision now. And now for Dante Williams, I've known Dante since, you know, he began coaching, right? I remember when he was at Washington as a graduate assistant. Uh, He's not just an elite recruiter, man. He's a hell of a football coach. He's going to have this team uh, prepared and ready. And, and this team knows that they've got an extremely high ceiling. So I, I think the standard for them is to go win the Pac-12 South. And I think that should, should be the standard. I mean, that should almost be the floor for this team. Regarding him and having a chance to get this job, I don't know. I mean, we, seasons take on lives of their own. We know that. Um, we've seen that happen before. I think there's a lot of pressure to hire someone who's done it and been there before as a head coach at a big place. And I think that there's going to be a ton of interest from people in that regard. We're talking to Yogi Roth. What about, for instance, Yogi in that term? or in that Mario Cristobal, his name has come up as a possible candidate for the USC job. What is your reaction when you hear that? And could you see him leaving Oregon for USC? Yeah, man. I mean, classic, right? Like, if, if they lose to Ohio State and this still happens at SC, is his name mentioned in that regard? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it was such an impressive job to me, what he did over the weekend with, you know, multiple starters out, including the best player, arguably, in the country. Uh, he had his team ready. To me, he should, you know, crown him coach of the year just based on doing that you know, on the road. And to me, it was the biggest win the Pac-12 has had since it became the Pac-12 in non-conference play. And you could argue it's in, you know, up, up in the scale of one of the greatest wins in the history of this league. It went and beat a team that won a national championship game a year ago and handled them on the offensive front of the line of scrimmage. So am I surprised his name's in it? No. Uh, but we know what this game is, man. I mean, anybody, you don't, you could be an average football fan and you can name the names that are being thrown out right now for this job, right? Bob Stoops, Chris Peterson, Mario Cristobal. Uh, you can go up and down the list. Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, Brent Brennan, and all names that should be thrown out for it because I think this job is one of their premieres. But I also believe Oregon is. When you look at the resources they have, how he's built this thing, you know that you don't just build it overnight because of a logo. It takes a long time to build a culture. It doesn't just flip. Um, and he's built it. So I, I know he loves it there. Um, I'm sure he's being asked about it at his press conference today after practice, uh, but I can't imagine it. And I do think even for Oregon and recruiting, the fact that his name is being mentioned for it's probably a good thing for them uh, saying, hey, you know, everybody wants our head coach and he wants to be here. So I, I don't anticipate him taking that job. I think he's got one of the better jobs in the country right now. But I do think that coaches that are currently head coaches in college and the NFL, I am sure have had their representatives reach out to Mike Bowen and company. Because this is, I think, a top five job in all of football. And if they're going to give the head coach the control, which I think they'll give them, and I think is necessary to go win championships and do it the way that you think that you can, I think it's going to be a very attractive job. Talking to Yogi Roth for a few more moments. I agree with everything you just said. Now, I mentioned off the very top, Yogi, you are now hosting the It Factory Pac-12 football with Yogi Roth. It debuted last Monday night on the Pac-12 Network. What is the show all about? Yeah, thanks for asking, man. You lo- you'll love this show. Um, you will absolutely love it. Uh, you know, when we watch football, we talk all about the playmaking styles of Kayvon Thibodeau, for instance, or Jaden Daniels, or you know, Spencer Rattler. Name the player who's a baller in college football. But very rarely do we take their armor off, take their helmet off, get to know what makes them tick. 
you know, what their it factor is. And for me, the it factor is the most overused and undefinable phrase in all of sports. And I actually did a film on this phrase a couple of years ago. And what I netted out is I think the it factor is when, you know, someone walks into a room and they feel your presence and you make all of them, a, uh, make all of them a little bit better. Like you have a multiplier effect to yourself. And that's what this show is. It's taking the best players in this league and the best players who have played in this league as alums. Say, let's dive into your story, where you came from, what you're about. What is your effect? What is the thing that really drove you to dramatic success? And episode one, we had Keaton Slovis. Episode two is Kayvon Thibodeau that came out last night. Uh, we've got Britton Covey, Thomas Booker, and everybody that's going to get drafted. Trent McDuffie I'm interviewing later this week at Washington. Uh, we're going to get them on the show, and then we're going to tap into the alumni base. And for me, it's just an extension of what I've always been doing for five-plus years on my, on my former podcast. It's, it's the same thing. Right? It's the same RSS feed. We just changed the title, and uh, we added a little bit of a tighter focus. I like it. Dude, i got to say, you, you look like a million bucks. You have to hit me with this on the way out the door. What is your approach, Yogi, when it comes to diet and exercise and health and nutrition? Yeah, I take it seriously. Um, I grew up a vegetarian, so I think there's there's that element to me. You live in SoCal, you know the deal, bro. You got to work out. Um, I love being outdoors, and I got two young kids, you know. So I try to get my rest, and I try to really take care of my body. And my wife and I, at the priority list of hey, let's let's make sure that we're not getting burnt out. And I think now, even with COVID and going to games and being around players and fans. It's really important to me to get through a season. I owe it to my crew that I get to work with. And Ted Robinson, my partner every week, of like, I got to be at my best physically and mentally. So uh, that, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, I really pay attention to what I put in my body, man. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really it. You know, love the beach and, and love everything that SoCal can afford you to do. You know, I love all that, and especially that part about, I mean, even now that you no longer play the game, it's the same It's the same approach in the sense that availability is still your best ability. you got to be there. There are people counting on you. you got to make good choices. you got to rest. you got to recover. you got to bounce back, and you look the part. He is a filmmaker. He is a Pac-12 football analyst. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a very good friend of this program. He is Yogi Roth. Yogi, that's how you close the show, man. Thank you so much. Great job. Yeah, man. Bring me back on in a couple of weeks. We'll talk Oregon and UCLA. I got a feeling about these two teams. It'll be pretty fun to watch them compete. He is Raider Mike. What's up, Mike? Sam Smack. Epic. Epic. Thanks for taking the call, buddy. Uh, for the record, Jim, it was a rub play by uh, third and Renfro, which uh, went against Marlon Humphrey, and uh, it got Jones free on that game winner. Uh, it's been probably, like, what, a year to the day since I've been in, Van Smack. Apologies there. Uh, the job's had me a little busy working that uh, suntan in the Kuwaiti Desert. Um, and it's epic to be back in on a victory Tuesday. You know, I was in Vegas this summer and toured that place. I toured the Death Star. Beautiful crib, sweet, a legit football stadium, not the Taj Mahal they built out in Inglewood. Legendary, legendary first game last night, shades of 2016, lucky or not, probably the most impressive performance I've seen from a Raider defense in, in probably five years. Swarm tackling, collapsing the pocket, forcing two turnovers out of a talent like Lamar Jackson. Both ended up as touchdowns. How un-Raider-like is that? But you got to be lucky to be good. Couple of notes, fan smack. Nice to see our quarterback get through his uh, his preseason in the first quarter before he could totally sink our defense. And by the way, that's dude's twenty second fourth quarter comeback. If you need him, I'm a little concerned with the uh, offensive line, especially at center. I mean, god dang it, Andre James is like a Keystone cop trying to direct Clay's Campbell through traffic. Why would you give up a Pro Bowler like Rodney Hudson for that? You know, but you know, hey, it's it's just business. And the offensive line is Tom Cable's business. And dude has earned the benefit of the doubt. And nice guy debut last night by Outland Trophy winner Alex Leatherwood, Cable's latest protege. Quick shout-out to my man, cornerback Nate Hobbs, whose name was not called once last night. I guess that's a good thing. Another legendary game from the Silver and Black Van Smack, a franchise that leads the league in all-time legendary games. It wasn't the Holy Roller, but we will take it. That's all I got, short and sweet. Like Chicky Baby says, in and out, heart break. Raider Nation, baby. Just go ahead and rack that legend. Rack him! My man, I know you have forgotten more Raider football, Raider Mike, than any of us will ever know, but were you and I watching the same game last night? 
That animal is a dog. Not just any dog, but Paul's dog. Let's go to the phone. Hey, Paul's dog, what's up? Roll around, roll. First of all, I'll do what he just said. He's right. Part of me wants to find like some like dog to human translation, but I can fight my way through it and pick up certain parts of it. Starting with him referencing the quote screaming human penis in Buffalo. That would be Rick in Buffalo. <laughs> And then he was talking about Jeff in Richmond. He just referenced him as like, he's like Clifford the Big Red Dog if he ate Marmaduke. This dude, Paul's dog, rock him. That dog's going to win that event one day. Rock him! In the event that Brad doesn't call and Left doesn't call and the, quote, screaming human penis in Buffalo does not call. You take out like the 10 or 12 or 14 best, and I'm telling you, that dog has a really good look at it. He's getting better with reps. Time for a W-A-L-K. Good night now!